0: up everybody welcome to draft chat this is episode number 170 my name is zach i'm one of your hosts and joining me as per usual ben fisher what's up dude 170 huh yeah
1: yeah we're here it's occurring to me that i may have missed the opportunity to make some jokes last episode but we can gloss (laughs) over that
0: (laughs) i was glad you didn't (laughs) Well, this week we have a little bit of a different take on an episode we've been kind of doing every set or so. Instead of doing a rare roundup this week, we're actually just going to talk about all the enchanting tales in this set. But before we do, our usual housekeeping, do check out the Discord if you're not already in there. We'd love to see you over there. Come say hi. Chat about your trophy decks, your... What's the picks, any sort of discussions you have around all these formats that we've come to be playing lately and with different rotations and things, we've got a channel for that as well. The link to that is in the episode description as well as on our Twitter page. And if you'd like to support the show directly, you can do so on Patreon, not right now, but in about in November when we do our full relaunch for the Patreon. Uh, But anyway, you can check that out at patreon.com forward slash draft chat pod.
1: We appreciate all of you patrons. Uh, You're the best.
0: All right, on a our Draft type thing. Ben, this looks like a pack one pick two. Here it is. So
1: this uh, pack one pick one was pretty easy. I took Goblin Bombardment. I took it over Bramble Familiar, Back for Seconds, uh, Picnic Ruiner, and Taken by Nightmares. And sure, you could argue that a card like Taken by Nightmares is more generically good, but Goblin Bombardment, this card is so strong in the right deck. If you are along the vector of dumping a bunch of things onto the board then this card can just deal 6-7 to your opponent's face. It has the upside of kind of shutting off all the removal spells or at least decreasing their effectiveness by some flat percent because now you just have this flat fling effect. It pairs really well with turn against effects. It, it, it's, it's super versatile, right? It can make combat math a nightmare. Your opponent can't block your 2-2 your two, two with their 3-3 three, three anymore because then you just fling a rat at it to finish it off. Really strong card. Now, pack one, pick two is where things get a little worse. For those not watching on screen, let me read off uh, th- this pack. Uh, we've got an unassuming sage, the uh, one of the white 2-2, two, two, when it ETBs, you can pay two. And if you do, you make a sorcerer roll attached to it. This card has been just fine. Uh, even within the red-white celebration decks, I-, I haven't found this one to be one that I love running. It's a little unexciting on two. And even for this kind of like, low drop with a kicker i prefer the bards uh, the three mana three two that you can pay one uh to make a young hero roll in something i think young hero is so much better than sorcerer in these red white beatdown decks especially because a lot of these things have low toughness so the sage has been just fine for me just kind of mid
0: yeah i tend to agree with you i do think there's a place for one copy of unassuming sage in those decks because the scry actually really helps you not drown in lands um yeah. i've used that quite effectively to make sure that i'm actually casting spells and keeping celebration going
1: we've got a scarecrow guide that's the two mana two one reach and you can pay one to add a mana of any color so it can filter a mana once per turn. this one i haven't needed to run yet even in my most Egregious splashy decks. I've been happy running prophetic prisms or uh, evolving wilds or something else. The the, uh, the fawn has been Root Rider fawn has been just fine too. Haven't had to stoop this low yet, or I guess this high. Living lectern. I haven't seen this card do much. There's not. This this is like a little confusing vector here. If there was some sort of like artifact going to the graveyard thing happening, then I could see maybe this. This working, there, there are some blue decks that can be benefit from putting up a, a an 4 blocker early, but then I guess what are you supposed to do? Sack it once they once they have like a four four. At which point you're sacking to put a sorcerer roll on something and
0: drawing a card. I don't know. That just puts you more behind. I, I don't like this card at all. Yeah, I played in blue-red decks as essentially just a big wall to keep me from dying against aggro stuff in the beginning of the game. And then eventually later, it becomes something I just bargain away when I have no other choice. Um, definitely not yeah. something to be taking this early.
1: Now we've got a hopeful vigil here. I like this one. That's the one in the white uh, enchantment. ETB makes a 2-2 token with vigilance. Uh, it's a knight. And when it's put in the graveyard, you scry two, and you can pay two and a white to sack it. Auto triggers celebration it pairs really well with bargain this and torch the tower make a, a funny combo of like scrying and then scrying again. This is a nice little combo with stockpiling celebrants too, which also lets you scry and then functionally draws you this card as well. And a two mana two, two is you know something that most red white decks can make good use of even on turn four or five. Non crescendo is next up the two in a red creatures. You get control, get two O until end a turn, And then whenever non token creature you control dies, you get a rat. Uh, something a little funny about this effect. You want this to be the last spell you cast during the game, so I don't really understand the whole. Whenever a non-token thing dies, you get a rat. I get that it incentivizes your opponent to block your rats instead, so then your non-token creatures get in. They're probably more valuable. They get to survive if your opponent blocks such as that. It disincentivizes that those blocks a little bit, but uh, I, don't, it's just upside. I don't like it. Yeah, yeah, I guess it's upside. I just want this to be the last spell that I cast in a game. And I think some of its value is unfortunately concentrated in that second clause that doesn't actually do too much.
0: Well, I don't know. I just think about it like an overrun effect without trample, and it has some upside in that if it doesn't end up closing the game out, you still have a board that you can run another gnawing crescendo into and (laughs) still do just
1: fine. That's true. I've died to this card a handful of times. And if I was in like a significantly Go wide, black, red, rats factor. I would absolutely play one, maybe even two.
0: Oh, I play, I play at least one in every red, white, or red black deck. Wow. Okay, maybe I should value it a little higher then. I guess it is just like a, an effective it's, combat it's, trick um, too. It's it's just like it's Imidin Recruiter's little brother, basically. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a finisher for the deck. You de- absolutely want one in all of your aggro decks.
1: Imidin's recruiter's little brother. Interesting. I,
0: I, I'm gonna I'm gonna hold you to that one uh fell horseman's next that's the three
1: meta three three when it dies it gets put on the bottom because it'd be really annoying if you could loop these uh the sorcery adventure attached to it deathly ride you return target creature from your graveyard to your hand for one of the black uh this one's just whatever you know if you have some good cards in your deck uh, for example i played one of these in that black white deck from our live draft with ariette and yeah you could get back ariette when your opponent inevitably tries to kill her so it's fine but nothing to write home about cooped up that's the pacifism effect the one of the white enchant creature can attack or block uh, and then you can pay two and a white exile it i haven't gotten to do any of the tricks with this one yet i've found that there's usually better things to do with my mana in these super aggressive red white decks that want this but you can do the thing where you put the exile enchanted creature claws on the stack and then sack this to bargain to uh, kick a torch the tower or something like that so Cooped Up has some, some funny play to it, although I haven't really seen anyone make use of it.
0: Yeah, I think that they Wizards actually made it three mana very specifically, because three mana makes it just expensive enough that you very often would rather not bother doing that in conjunction with one of your bargain spells. You'd rather just bargain mm-hmm. something and then cast a creature and move on with your life. Brave the Wilds is up. That's the green sorcery.
1: Uh, it has Bargain. And if it was bargained, one of your lands becomes a 3-3 with haste uh, that's still a land. Uh, elemental. I don't think that matters. but And then you also get to search your library for a basic, reveal it, put in your hand, and shuffle. Fine in the multicolor piles. Not my favorite way. This is like middle-of-the-road level splashing stuff. I, I do prefer Prophetic Prism, Treasure Makers, and E-Wilds over this. But it's whatever. It's fine. Armory Mice. I'm... I'm continually going higher and higher on the mice, uh, all the mice, the uncommon one, this one, the, uh, the, the battle mouse at rare uh, mice are actually pretty good. Uh, this is often going to be a two mana three, three attacker. And that's exactly what the red, white wa- wants to do.
0: Yeah. Again, not something you're taking this highly. Um, and you can see even with the 17 lands data that's up, this is average last seen at about seven. So you've got plenty yeah. of time to pick these up. Uh, not something I want to take pick two here, but, um, they're really solid two drops in those red white decks. Yeah. Now we got a glass casket. Here is our first uncommon out of the commons.
1: Anything sticking out to you?
0: Yeah. Um, I would say just looking at what we've got here, cooped up and hopeful vigil are probably top two. Um, I, I was saying I'm pretty high on nine crescendo, but again, that's a card that you find late in the game. You can wheel them late in the draft rather you can wield them. You don't need to worry about picking those up early, and we don't even know what we're playing yet. So um, I'd be fine taking yeah, I'm probably on the Hopeful Vigil. Maybe cooped up, but with the Goblin Bombardment, the Vigil just seems to mesh better. Anyway, I mentioned we have Glass Casket here.
1: Really strong removal spell. Uh, no complaints. <laughs> it hits a lot of stuff. When you trade 2 mana for their 3 mana, it feels good. And not a lot of artifact removal incidentally running around. Sometimes you'll get hit by that oof. And then what are you going to say? You just got to go oof. Uh, (laughs) That's just how it is sometimes. But this will usually take care of something on the other side. Next uncommon is Ego Drain. No, uh, not looking like a fairies thing. And I I don't even think this card is very good within fairies. And then we've got an Ashiok's Reaper here. The format of three, three, when an enchantment put in the graveyard, you draw a card again. I think we were both talking about on the last episode. I've never seen anyone draw a single card off of this. It just doesn't line up that often. Yeah. We have an enchanting tail still in the pack. We have an intruder alarm. Uh, sick art. Uh, yeah, this looks is the one that, that's. It's this not is the a one that's hard though. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Uh, this is the one that's two in a blue. Enchantment. Creatures don't untap during the controller's untap steps. Whenever a creature enters the battlefield, untap all creatures. Look, I'm sure there's infinite combos with this in Commander. If you go to a, an FNM and you see this and you're like, ooh, that's nice. Don't even take it over a good like removal spell. This card probably costs like 10 cents now, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, a lot of these enchanting tales are very inexpensive monetarily. Um, and you're losing a lot of win rate value by taking them in your draft picks because well we'll get into all of that intruder alarm's not one to take um i'm probably just on i'm probably on a hopeful vigil here i've talked a lot in the last couple of episodes about how every card in your deck in this format needs to synergize with each other and while glass caskets probably the best card in the pack i think it just doesn't do enough with goblin bombardment that i'd want to take it Early on in the draft, I think you're okay wasting maybe two or three picks, your first three picks or so, on cards that don't synergize well. And then that helps you find your lane and figure out where you're actually going for the rest of the draft. So, absolutely wouldn't fault anybody for taking the glass casket here. Uh, I'd probably just be on Hopeful Vigil because I think it sets me up best to uh, have a deck that is synergizing well going into the rest of the draft.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I picked this one because we are talking about Enchanting Tales today and such a huge gap between Goblin Bombardment and Intruder Alarm, (laughs) both of which are uh, rare in the Enchanting Tales bonus sheet. And I did actually end up slamming the Hopeful Vigil here. Funny enough, Glass Casket uh, Wield, as did the Armory Mice. I was very surprised by that. And uh, I went on to trophy with this deck. I can show the details real quick this deck ended up being very strong the glass casket made it in of course Uh, i had a bunch of stockpiling celebrants three of them i had two princess takes flight obviously a mondo combo just land princess takes flight if you've never gotten to use celebrants to bounce princess takes flight and then replay princess takes flight in the same turn you haven't lived it is it is ridiculous uh and then a bunch of Okay, two drops. I picked up an armory mice, a charming scoundrel. I got lucky to open in, in pack two. Had to play a skewer slinger, uh, and an unassuming sage as two drops. I, I didn't love having to do that, but I was a little low on, on two mana plays. Then just a, a really strong removal suite. Uh cut in Witch Frenzy, towards the Tower, uh, and expel the interlopers at, at my top end, and even a red cap gutter dweller. Just a red white value rare pile that had a, a pretty aggressive slant so this is a very fun deck to play and i do have to thank some people in the discord for uh helping out thank you to the aficionados that helped me craft this deck uh if you'd like to help me craft decks definitely like comment subscribe all that hop in the discord most importantly because uh it's a lot of fun over there
0: all right on to to fairy tibble this is our roses and thorn style segment where ben and i share a high and a low from the past week ben i went first last week what's up with you this week All right, let's start with some Teferis.
1: Uh, Things have been going pretty good at school. I I like my classes a lot. I don't think my students this year have discovered that I have a podcast yet, which, you know, that's probably for the best. (laughs) Unless some of the people from last year who who discovered it end up telling them. We'll we'll see if that ends up happening. Uh, But things have been going well. My classes are all nice. My students have been really buying into the whole scientific process thing. Uh, I try to lean into it with my class a bit, have them really, the more you put in, the more you get out. Right. And that's how it works in, in school. So, uh, I've also had some fun running some new clubs this year. I'm running the astronomy club with some very eager upperclassmen that that just kind of wanted to get it going. And, um, they've been doing great at, at organizing and making posters and flyers and the teachers that are listening, you know, when a student just kind of takes something in the, in, in their own, and you don't have to do a single thing, but kind of supervise. It's always the best. And that's kind of what these girls are doing for the Astronomy Club. So I'm, I'm very happy about that. Uh, also, starting up a science Olympiad. Uh, it's like a competition team. Both you and I absolutely would have been on this and uh, it would have been a lot of fun. So we didn't get to do it in high school, but uh, I guess I get to supervise it now. So <laughs> um, sweet. And I've got an upcoming RCQ uh, this, this Sunday. I uh, got, got a busy weekend. I'm going to a football game on Saturday, which I, I rarely do. I'm taking my dad for his birthday, so that'll be fun. And then the RCQ on Sunday. So uh, two very different types of competitions. <laughs> we'll we'll see which ends up being better and, and more fun. I'm hoping the RCQ, but I, I'm in for a good football game too. Uh, my tibble is that I left some really delicious grapes at school. I forgot to eat them. I don't know what else to say. They, I, I got home and I audibly yelled because I was so upset that I had left these grapes at school. And now they're sitting there, they're, they're getting warm, sitting in my lunchbox on my desk where I left it. Such a bummer. Yeah. It's it's not, not a huge problem, but it's been a good week, I guess.
0: Yeah. I was going to say, I think, I think you should, uh, you should just take a moment to reflect on how amazing your (laughs) week has been. If that is the low point.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I guess so. What's up with you?
0: Um, yeah, my Teferi is that, well, while you're listening to this, I'm either on the plane or have landed and am enjoying my trip in Zion. We're pre-recording this episode a bit in advance because I'll be out there hiking and such. So um likely I'll have more to share next week on just how the trip went and different things that I got to do and see. Um I'll hope that my Tibolt for next week isn't anything injury-related, but uh, we'll just cross our fingers on that one. This week, I also don't really have much of a Tybalt. Um, it's, been, it's been a pretty chill, kind of just unassuming week. So Cool. <laughs> yeah, on to our listener question of the week. This week, our question comes from Dorrigan in the Discord. And again, if you want to ask a listener question of the week and get it answered on the show, you can jump into the Discord. Check out the listener questions channel in the Discord, where we pick up all of these questions. So Doran sa- Dorigan says, whoa, signpost on commons. Which is your favorite from a flavor perspective? Dorigan's between blue red for the Sorcerer's Apprentice thing and blue white for the Ice Queen thing. He says definitely not frozen.
1: It, it was funny. They did a, a card called like Queen of, like Icy Queen or Queen of Ice, right? It, it was a common from the last set. And it had an adventure on it that did the thing. It tapped down one of your opponent's creatures and it didn't untap in the next untap step. And then it was like a 2 3 or something. So it was, it was sort of like a, a Frostlings effect. I'm kind of surprised they didn't just shut up, reprint it, but I reprint guess they kind it. of had to retcon it because uh, there could only be one Icy Queen in this set and she had to be a legend in Hilda. Yeah, uh, I, I like a lot of these. I got to say, I'm I'm excited to dig into the flavor of this set a little bit because Ruby, a Daring Tracker, is actually one of the main heroes of the story. Um, yeah. That's the the red-green uh, one-two uncommon, the, the one with haste, kind of themed after Little Red Riding Hood. But also, I mean, in the art, she's carrying a crossbow. In the story, she's trying to find her, her long-lost brother. It's a whole thing. Uh, so that's interesting in that she's a named character. But I don't think any of the other uncommons were actually named oh troyan was uh, ruby actually meets troyan um along with kellen during their, their journey uh, but the other ones i don't think so some of them they have their stories told by the cards though so uh, ash party crasher for example you can spot ash on a whole bunch of different cards um same with some of the other ones never stalked by nightmares totentons has like a, a whole bunch of them and these are cards at all levels right um the the uh the x and a red what's that called Totentons, piper Totentons, swarm whatever it is Song the x and red. yeah that's <laughs> the one and that's obviously styled after him so he's got this uh like rare that that pairs with him pretty well Johan, apprentice sorcerer has the apprentice's folly and then a whole bunch of blue, the blue red spells cards are they tell this funny story about this apprentice Johan, who like started a fire w- with an elemental and then made a water elemental to put it out, but then those elementals start fighting and then he just keeps making more elementals to try to like stop the other ones. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a very cute story. As for my personal favorite flavor here, uh, I think I'm on ash because Hmm. let's be honest, I I love a good party. (laughs) And uh, whatever ash is up to, uh, clearly enjoying some, some ales and revelry that that that's my kind of uh it's my kind of festivities. so that or maybe greta who seems to be partying in her own way
0: <laughs> yeah i ruby was the one that stood out to me as the well actually i'll say johan was the one that stood out to me because the whole fantasia thing mixed with the apprentice's folly is just like perfect like that's just jeff's kiss hats off um i do like the the spin they took with a red riding hood thing with ruby in that like she's not this helpless little like you know, oh, I'm going to grandmother's house. She's like killing witch stalkers and stuff. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like that's, that's pretty cool. Um, and Troy I like for different reasons. I don't know that there was necessarily like, at least to me, there's not an obvious top down design that they were like, Hey, let's take this, uh, this typical like Grimm's fairy tale or whatever, and turn it into a card. Mm-hmm. But this is the, the, the only card really here of this 10 card kind of window we have for the signpost and commons that touches on the greater story of, Mm. Hey, the multiverse is not so multi anymore. And we've got some ways that non planeswalkers can move between planes. Yeah. It's just like kind of dripped in here with Troy. And so I I like that a lot. Um, That that's good flavor for me. That, that kind of helps tie things into where the big arc of the story is going. Yeah.
1: Some of these I I find are really elegant designs. Never stopped
0: by nightmares.
1: I want to know more. I almost want a side story just about what's happening there. Like, is she under the sleeping curse or is she under some other kind of curse? Is she being stalked? Sir Armand, the redeemer, what's going on there? Like there's these, these like witch knights or something in the background. And then like a a little, I I don't really know what's happening there. Uh, And and without any flavor text, it's kind of hard to say what's happening. I mean, mechanically, maybe someone that Sir Armand knows becomes a monster, I don't know. There's a whole bunch of little story pieces woven throughout a lot of the draft commons. So uh, once again, draft Trap stays winning. We get some of the the coolest flavor and and story stuff in the set. Uh, I think my favorite one to play so far uh, has actually been Greta and Greta just Mm. it does it all with food, right?
0: My favorite to play has been Ash.
1: Yeah, yeah. Ash is up there for me too.
0: All right, so let's dive into our main topic this week. As we mentioned, this week we're going through all of the enchanting tales. We're going to talk about whether they were hits or misses and some things to think in, uh, keep in mind and think about when you're drafting with these and you see them come around the table. Should you take them? Should not. When should you take them? If you should take them at all. And uh, we'll kind of walk through those. If you're not watching uh, the video version, we have all of them up in video so you can kind of see copies of each of them as we talk through them. And, uh, yeah, let's get into it. Cause we've got a lot of cards to cover. Enchanting tales. Don't you mean enchanting fails? <laughs> yeah. For the most part, there's a slim sliver of them that aren't failures in terms of the draft context. Obviously a lot of these are just constructed staples and they're like phenomenal cards to have in constructed formats, but mm-hmm. we're a limited podcast, So that's what, that's the context we're looking at these.
1: Yeah. Let's just get this out of the way right now. Some of these we're going to say suck and that's because unlimited they do. A lot of these will have the same type of effect where you are putting a card down on the board that has a really interesting and cool and unique effect, but it's not something that tends to win you games of Limited. So without having to repeat ourselves every time, uh, know that if we say this one is just don't play it, it's usually for something along those lines. It's just not the kind of card you play in Limited if you want to win games. That being said, we just saw Goblin Bombardment, right? Which is... One of the higher performing cards in the set overall so there are definitely some bangers here and there's even some ones with very niche applications so we're going to spend a good chunk of time on some of these enchanting tales and uh we'll kind of gloss over the enchanting fails
0: yeah and i'll say too we aren't necessarily going to give these letter grades or any kind of prescriptive grade we're going to talk about them a little more contextually so take everything we're saying within the context of your draft you may find some situations where some of what some of these are less failures than uh, we're saying they are, maybe you'll be able to make them work in certain contexts. But in general, this is what we've seen. Let's kick it off with blind obedience.
1: We're going to kind of treat these cards as though you know what they are. Uh, We're not going to read every line of text on them because let's be honest, these are all reprints, right? uh, Most people have seen these before. Blind Obedience, uh, maybe we'll give like a little hint to each one. That's the one that makes things come in tapped uh, and you can extort stuff by paying black slash white. This one I did lose to once. It was a a slow uh, blue-white deck, actually, that was able to just grind out, kind of tempo me down a little bit and drain me out for, I think, five points of life over the game. Then again, I wasn't playing the most aggressive deck. I think I was on blue-green or something. So this is a way you can close out with this, this unique face burn effect. I think this one has value in a like a mid range black or white or maybe like an Abzan adjacent deck. But this doesn't really belong in like red white. I mean, making your opponent's stuff come in tapped can be good, but I don't think that's worth a full card.
0: No, in red white and like any sort of aggressive deck, you typically would just rather play a two mana creature that's going to affect the board and, and actually progress your game plan. I do think this has a home in the blue-white tap decks because it does actually trigger some of your tap things. Um, some of the ones that are like whenever an opponent's creature becomes tapped, not necessarily the ones that care about you tapping your opponent's stuff. Um, huh, I don't know a prop like it, that. And it slows it slows like all the aggressive decks down, so it gives you time to kind of establish a board and get some, some momentum going or at least kind of figure out ways to win against the super aggressive decks. So it does have a home in those, but it's a very, very niche home and it basically shouldn't go in any other deck.
1: Dawn of Hope is up next. That's the uh, the two mana one. Whenever you gain life, you pay two, and then you can pay four to make a soldier. This is too slow. Uh, yep. In a, Again, in a very late game, very grindy deck, maybe like green-white, something like that, where you're making food and you have the ability to you know stall out and crack them. But I don't think the green-white Vector to wants to be doing that. Yeah, the green-white Vector... It, it can gain a lot of value from these auras, right? From the rolls. Uh, I think one of the best cards in green-white is the Tangle Lookout, right? Uh, the three-mana, two-three, uh, two, three that whenever an aura enters, you draw a card. Just an, a regular old Enchantress card. And that one can help green-white mid-range kind of power through to the late game. I think something like that would be a much better engine than this. Because, yeah, this is an enchantment, so it can proxy the Enchantress stuff. But paying for to make a one-one...
0: I don't know, this format just isn't really about that. It's also got way too many clarifying details, right? You have to have gained life a turn. Then you have to have two mana up that you want to spend to draw a card. Yeah. It's very slow, very relying on you to have this other thing. And this is not a life gain set. Yes, you can crack food to gain life. There are ways to gain life, Paranauti, getting lifelink and such like that. But... Mm -hmm you're not having an easy time making sure you're gaining life every turn. And so this isn't like a reliable effect you can trigger. And to your point, six mana for the first one, one, and then four mana after that for any one, one is just not enough to win games in this format.
1: Grasp of fate is the next one. This one I think is the best so far. Uh, That's the three mana O ring. It's basically templated for commander where it says uh, you can exile up to one target non-land permanent. Each player controls, uh, Well, it's for each opponent, rather. I guess it just kind of multi-triggers on Arena because there's only one opponent. They really should template that on Arena so that it just kind of stops having you select after you've already selected your only available opponent. I don't know, whatever. No big deal. Uh, This is an Oblivion Ring. It's just a little bit hard to cast. I do play this in decks, um, especially my decks with like 9 to 10 planes. If you start going down to like 7 planes with no additional fixing, then it's looking kind of risky. And sometimes this will just get stranded. But even on like turn five or six, like playing this and then a cheap creature, uh, the red white decks can make good use of that. This one I, I take pretty highly.
0: Yep. This will go in any any white based deck. Unconditional removal is phenomenal. And it doesn't just deal with creatures, it'll deal with anything. So yeah, take these pretty highly. This one's an uncommon, so you will see this kind of come around and not every deck can actually cast it. So um Solid removal for any white deck that can cast it.
1: We've got greater Aromancy. This one's nice and simple. It's a mythic enchantments. You control of shroud enchanting creatures. You control of shroud. No one is going so deep into the enchantress thing with auras that that you care <laughs> for this effect. Nope. Plus, even if you did, it still wouldn't be worth the card. I mean, th- there's a, that green combat trick, right? Uh, where it gives um, the, the noble role and also hexproof for the turn, so and even that is a better card than this. uh take this one for your commander decks like i don't know tenth pick in in real life and paper, and just don't pick this on arena.
0: This is one of the few that still has actual value though I think this is still a ten dollar card or plus, so oh yeah, it doesn't surprise me. I, I did see that um people were playing in historic the uh the
1: cat lock deck with nine lives plus uh solemnity plus now greater rmanncy uh, greater rromancy as a an additional layer of protection for that deck, so that's kind of funny if you feel like making your opponents miserable and
0: not letting them play the game. So our next one here is Griffin, Airy. This is another one that's like, you just, you can't set this up enough. You can't reliably gain three life a turn enough in this, de- in this format in white, right? The food decks typically aren't touching white. And so you may have an incidental food lying around that you can sack and then, oh great, you get a 2-2 Griffin. I've never seen this card work in this format. I haven't been able to make it work. I haven't tried to make it work. I don't think you should try.
1: Mm -hmm. Maybe you
0: could splash
1: it in a blue green food deck or a green black food deck. uh, If you have like some free sources anyway, and you're making like an absurd amount of food. But for the most part, I haven't found that I'm making an absurd amount of food. I found that I'm making a reasonable amount of food. And then, yeah, you have to then sack all those food to gain the life, which that means you're not spending that mana on like casting your creatures. Sure, you get a 2-2, but th- this is just way too much setup, so no thanks. Pass. It also
0: only triggers on your end step, and typically you want to leave the mana up to ca- crack the food at instant speed if you can. Oh, yeah. You can other yeah. Cast other- which, so it's just, yeah, too much going on that I that makes it difficult to use properly, and I don't, I don't like it in this format. Next up, we've got Intangible Virtue. Uh, this is one that you read and in most formats would be pretty phenomenal. You know, giving all your tokens 1-1 and Vigilance is great. They're just... And and I think I was a little lower on this. In white, there aren't as many ways to make tokens. Like, you've got Hopeful Vigil, and you've got, like, the train troops half of Imidane's recruiter. Mm-hmm. And that's Nightly kind Valor. of it. Knightly <laughs> yeah, Valor. Like, yeah, there's not a whole lot to to do in white to make tokens. So it falls flat there. If this was a black or a red card, it would be phenomenal. And if you can find a way to splash it without ruining your deck in a black-red deck, more power to you. But again, this is one that I just don't see very often worth taking.
1: Yeah, if you're playing a red-white deck and you have a bunch of the red rat-making cards, then you can play this. If you're playing black-white and you have a bunch of the black rat making cards you can play this just just know your vector if you have like only four or five ways to make tokens i probably wouldn't play this but if you look at your deck and you have like 10 maybe like 8 to 10 token sources especially ones that make multiples like the rat catcher trainee or uh, the goblin that's eating cheese whatever that thing is called the busted rare not that you need a lot of help to win after you play that but uh, also something funny about this card uh the tokens in this set, for the most part, there's some things that make birds, right? The, uh, the one that whenever an enchantment goes to the graveyard, you get a 1-1 flyer, which we've agreed that that just never happens. Uh, the, the funny thing is that the fairies and the rats and the knights are probably the most common tokens, right? Uh, the knights already have vigilance. The fairies and the rats can't really block. So, yeah. <laughs> it, so it sort of matter. just reads as like tokens you control get 1-1, and the vigilance basically adds nothing to the the worth of this card which again means that some amount of the value of this card is being lost so it makes sense that it's a little bit underwhelming uh yeah and I, I will play this in decks for sure but i wouldn't build around it you know i
0: wouldn't take this early i'd take it after i already had the tokens definitely next up is karmic justice this is the three-mana enchantment this one's a rare in the bonus sheet um essentially just makes it kind of a you hurt me, I hurt you kind of thing going on. If your opponent can destroy any of your non-creature permanents, you get to do the same. The thing is, this one's a little bit weird because it only triggers if they destroy your non-creatures. You get to destroy anything of theirs, but they have to destroy your non-creatures, and that's just not happening very often in this format. Like, maybe, maybe they decide to destroy an enchantment like a Grasp of Fate or something of that nature to get their card back. Nine times out of 10, though, most people aren't even playing cards in their deck that destroy enchantments, especially in best of one. <laughs> yeah. And that's just so this is never triggering. It's a three mana to do nothing.
1: I have a confession. The first time I read this card, I misread it as destroys a creature permanent. You control. And even then, I spent like 10 minutes racking my mind about whether that's something you actually want in a limited deck because it had it would have to specifically destroy like burn spells wouldn't work exile spells wouldn't work um, stuff like that. And then I reread it and said, non-creature. I was like, Oh, I could have saved myself 10 minutes of my life. I'm never putting this card in a deck.
0: Yeah. The only decks that ever would want something like this, and this isn't going to happen in this limited format, but they're the ones that are like super controlling play next to no creatures, a ton of enchantments and planeswalkers. And you don't want your opponent to blow up your stuff. And when they do, it helps you stem the bleeding against whatever they're doing. But don't play this in limited. Is uh
1: is this one going in that commander deck you were telling me about? Sure is <laughs> when you said uh, a deck involving a bunch of like pillow forty planeswalkers, like I don't know propaganda that type of thing. I was like, hold on, I, I think he's speaking from yep. experience here.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and last up on this particular slide or this section, we've got Knightly Valor, which we just mentioned briefly. Five mana aura that ETB is to make a 2-2 and then gives enchanted creature plus 2-2 two in plus two vigilance. Um, this one's a little awkward. When I first read this card, I thought you could put it on the creature it creates, like a living weapon mm. style. You can't do that. You need to have a, a target to enchant to play yeah. this before you get the 2-2, which is a little awkward. You, playing this on an empty board doesn't... You can't, actually. You won't be able <laughs> to cast it. Um... That said, it is a fine ish card to put in your red white decks. I think it's a little slow for them, typically, so maybe not the best thing you can be doing, but giving your best creature plus two plus two in vigilance not in, not really a bad thing, and then it comes with the creature, it triggers celebration,
1: mm-hmm. so
0: it's got a few things going for it. It's not one that I would say completely stay away from, but I also don't take this highly,
1: yeah, I like one knightly valour in my in my red white decks uh. I don't have a huge problem with it. I do want to issue a slight correction. You can cast this when you have no creatures on your board. You just have to put it on one of your opponent's things. And then you oh, do fair get it. Enough. Yeah, <laughs> you get it. You get it too, too. That can trump their like six, six vigilance or whatever. Uh, also got to shout out. Uh, this one's got some real nice art. I like that kind of beautiful sunscape, uh, that castle in the background. These knights marching with their giant banners. Uh, the white ones on this slide. Really,
0: really fantastic art. These ones are a killer. I mean, the art on all of these that aren't the anime versions are pretty much all just absolute bombs. Like, they're so good. Yeah, there's not
1: a miss, to be honest. Um, didn't we, we recorded the pre-show a while back for uh, our thoughts on the anime version ones. Not yes. not the best. Uh, let's, let's, let's move on. Let's talk about land tax. White for an enchantment. Uh, this is the one where, at the beginning of your upkeep, if an opponent has more lands than you, you get to tutor up three basics and then uh, put them in your hands. Now, usually this type of effect is. Well, this is such a unique effect, right? If you're playing commander, this is great because it means you're going to hit all your land drops. You can pitch your lands to extra things. You can with a looter, you can loot them away or you can, I don't know, discard them down to the, the, fill your graveyard for to fill a delve ability or like, I don't know. You can abuse this effect more in other older formats. In limited, in particular draft, limited like this, I guess you're like tutoring out all your lands. Thinning isn't irrelevant. If you get to trigger this multiple turns in a row, then let's say you're um, on the draw, right? You your opponent plays a lands, they pass the turn. You uh, untap. Well, you don't have anything in play. You play your first planes. You play land tax, and you say go. Your opponent has to say, "All right, I'm going to play my second land," but then they'll get to draw three. And then if I play my third, then they'll get to draw three. So once you start drawing such a volume of cards, you basically will always have seven cards in hand. You'll discard a bunch of lands and you will eventually thin out all the basics from your deck. There are some decks that would actually want to do that. I just don't know if it's worth a card to do that.
0: I mean, you you never miss a land drop, right? Well, what you described is the ceiling on this card. You play it turn one. Yeah. Oh. And oh. Yeah. While your opponent's yeah. on the play, <laughs> you're on the draw, and you play it turn one. That's and your the best white this deck. Gets. Yeah. What decks actually want to do that on turn one, as opposed to say play a one drop or just like keep up like an archon's goal? I don't know. Like like Crackety it in the or game, something. You yeah, you do this later in the game, you play this and it just doesn't matter cuz either you're at parity with lands or your opponent can just stop playing them cuz they have enough on board to do what they need to do anyway. So, in the best scenario, I still don't exactly know what decks want this. The red white mm-hmm. aggro decks typically like sure they would they would appreciate maybe thinning the deck a little bit. But they're running and they're running like relatively few lands. You can get away with like 16 landers, 15 landers in this format. Um but I think you'd just rather have a creature than this and just like play your low land count. And like you don't need that many lands, so drawing them doesn't really help you all that much besides thinning the deck. I just don't think any deck in this format really wants this card.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: that's a good point. I I think I was getting a little too excited about land tax. (laughs) The only deck I could see, there may be, we talked about this a little bit last week, there may be a very niche, very narrow version of the five color deck that would use this for fixing so you can just go oh. grab off color basics to kind of filter the cards in your hand properly that sounds loose and i need to see it happen before i'm willing to try it but <laughs> yeah <laughs> like you're never taking an opportunity you're never taking
1: a land tax over like a torch the tower right like I, I just can't see a world where that's no <laughs> never something to do yeah no um I, i'm personally not going to put this one in decks but for those brave heroes that, that want to do this and make it work, I want to see your list. Leyline of Sanctity is up next. Can we just issue just a, a one off uh, thing for Leylines? I don't think any of them are, are actually playable. Nope. Next. <laughs> Sorry, Leyline of Sanctity. Uh, hexproof, not good enough. Frexian Unlife. I am embarrassed to say I did lose to an opponent playing this. It was a red white oh mirror match. Gosh. They had Phyrexian on life and look, they were playing best of one. I'm sure some black green deck demolished them after they played this, Uh, but they played Phyrexian on life and functionally gained ten for three mana. And I was like, well, we've been just like glass cannoning at each other and they all of a sudden have 50% more life than they started with. So I'm just going to lose now. And I did because I couldn't block. I had a bunch of rats. So
0: sure. But like. (laughs) That only works in that matchup. Even like the yeah, red white yeah. matchups, that doesn't work because they can just stop attacking and block you. And you'd ra- like most red white decks, just want a three drop creature instead of this. I think you can side this in if you're playing best of three in- against
1: a sure. literal aggro deck. I don't think sure. you should play in any other circumstance. Rest in peace. Uh, well, RIP, RIP. Not this time. <laughs> Not an effect you want unlimited. Sorry. Moving on.
0: Yeah. So next up, we've got Smothering Tithe to round out the white cards in Enchanting Tales. Smothering Tithe, phenomenal constructed card, really good in Commander. Way too slow in this format. Don't put it in your white decks. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a
1: a, dan- a deck in standard with. Do you remember that card, Emergency Powers? It was like a seven mana. Both players draw seven, and then if it was your turn, you got to free cast something. I think it had addendum. Sure. Uh, there was a deck in standard i believe that had smothering tithe and emergency powers so you would cast emergency powers with the tithe in play and you'd break the symmetry by making seven treasures after wheeling that was that was kind of fun uh unfortunately woe limited does not have any draw sevens so smothering tithe is going to stay on the sidelines
0: similarly as for told is up next that's the two in a blue that lets you like free cast stuff but or you really you pay zero to cast them uh but you can yeah it ticks up every turn with counters you know the card and you can see it on screen Uh, it's not playable in limited just don't there's not a single deck that wants this by turn three you'd rather just be paying your mana to do the thing instead of like waiting (laughs) four turns to cast a four drop for free yeah just don't put this in your decks Next up is Compulsion. This is the one in a blue with two activated abilities. Uh, you can basically rummage or sack it a draw card. Um, I don't think there's a home for this in this format. There's just like too much good just card draw in general. There's Quick Study, which triggers all your Incident Sorcery Matters stuff. There's Into the Fae Court, which does the same and draws you a bunch of cards. I just don't think you need to take the time and mana to do this
1: yeah I honestly think this would be better if it was just one of the blue e t b draw card no other text oh wait a minute prophetic yeah. prism never mind <laughs> right <laughs> and
0: that's colorless so <laughs> that's colorless so
1: yeah uh, I, I saw an opponent play this one once and they did not win, so let's yeah. uh use that as a data point now you just can't you, you can't be doing this nonsense the the, the the format's not for this
0: yeah and then next up we've got copy enchantment the three mana just ETB, make a copy of any enchantment on the battlefield. Uh, maybe there's a controlling deck that wants this, but it's very matchup dependent and very dependent upon what you have in your deck as well. So this one I could say is maybe build around, like, you might be able to make it work, but I haven't found a deck that actually runs blue and cares about enchantments to the degree to the degree that I would want this in my list. Uh, but haven't you considered that if you copy enchantment a greater Aromancy,
1: then... Oh, wait, that gives them the Shroud, right? Never mind. Uh, if you copy <laughs> Enchantment a frex in Unlife, you can... Uh, oh, wait a minute. No, that doesn't... Uh, I, Maybe if there were better Enchanting Tales, then copy Enchantment could get sweet. Like, imagine if uh you had
0: something like this.
1: Was there something like this?
0: In, well, if you in, have a uh, blue-white deck Brothers with a War? lot of bargain, or like... Yeah, I guess it needs to be in that deck. If you had a blue-white deck with a lot of bargain, which... Mm, not exactly the deck that does a lot of bargaining, but... <laughs> You could copy like a princess takes flight and it yeah, would that's yeah, still value, do the actually. exile thing. Like but that's maybe the best this can do. Or maybe you copy a grasp of fate. I, I guess I don't know.
1: Yeah, I, I'm not gonna do this one. Again, this would be something that you could sideboard in if your opponent shows you grasp of fate and princess takes flight, but even then it, it might just fizzle and not work. What, what like the the floor on this is you copy like uh, an aura? No, thanks. <laughs> right? Yeah, no. Here's a good one. Curiosity. That's the uh, the kind of looter one. It's one blue. You stick it on a creature as an aura. And whenever that thing deals damage to an opponent, you draw a card. Not combat damage. So the wombo combo is if you put it on the living catapult, then whenever you tap the living catapult to deal damage to your opponent, you get to draw a card. It's super sick. Probably the best thing the cannibal can be doing is having a curiosity attached to it too. But honestly, I've just stuck this on a fairy a couple times, just on a cheap one to two mana fairy. And if you have a couple counter spells in hand, you're like, I can't lose, right? If they try to kill it, they lose out on tempo, on mana, and I'm drawing an extra card a turn. Also getting in for damage, like you'll just win those games so easily.
0: Yep. Yeah, this is one of the, the better ones I've seen. Yeah, I like that. I like this one a lot. Force Fruition,
1: I do not. Uh, that's the six mana. It says whenever an opponent casts a spell, that player draws seven cards. Are you interested in spending six mana to help your opponent draw more cards? Not even that. I get the joke, right? Like the, the joke is when the opponent casts a spell, by the time you have this on the battlefield, your opponent probably has somewhere between 15 and 23 cards left in their deck. So they can cast like three to four more spells, probably less, like two to three more spells in the game, unless they have a way to remove an enchantment, unless they have a way to kill you prior. I mean, you just spent six mana to not affect the board. Do you trust that you're not dying on, on the crackback? Yeah, not so much. Yeah. And what if their next two spells just win in the game? Then their next two spells drew them like half their deck so then their next spell was even better this might even draw them into their enchant removal card right or, or some other way like their oof or that uh the uh what is it hilda's kiss or whatever so uh not a big fan of this i don't think i'd ever put this in a deck
0: but ben if you put it with our next card then you're just doing the thing
1: <laughs> yeah fraying sanity when they have to discard down the hand size, then uh it'll mill them out too that, that'd that be a funny wombo combo. Frank Sanity is a three-mana curse. Enchants a player. At that player's end step. Uh, oh, sorry. That's actually each end step. That player mills X, where X is the number of cards put in that graveyard from anywhere this turn. I forget the last set this was printed in, but I remember that this could actually kill you reasonably quickly. Was it Shadows of I That like one sounds of
0: those like sets? it makes sense. It I might have been the one that had Teferi's Tutelage in it. Yeah, I that honestly with this would recall. be ridiculous. Uh
1: in whatever case, um, this can actually mill someone out fairly quickly, provided that they're putting cards into their graveyard for whatever reason. That could be instant sorcery. Oh, yeah. If you play such that not a lot of stuff hits your board, a red white deck, they just hold back for a little bit. Honestly, a red white deck doesn't care if they get milled. This is the sort of thing that it doesn't actually do anything until it wins you the game so this means that you are spending a card to not actively like enact a game plan until it ends right milling is just not i i I think you need a ridiculously controlling blue deck for you to want to play this as your win condition you would want like four to five counter spells and like ways to make sure your opponent was not going to be pressuring you at all. Maybe even like a board wipe or something, uh, expel the interlopers. I, I want two board wipes before I put this into a deck. Cause then with board wipes, this actually starts to get kind of cool.
0: Yeah. I mean, I played against this card once and I, it literally triggered one time to mill me for one. <laughs> and then I was like, Oh yeah, I can't play instants and sorceries right now. And then I just killed them with my creatures. <laughs> it's like. <laughs> It went like four or five turns went by and it never triggered again. Well, wow. the, the day has
1: come when Zach argues against the blue mill win condition. Who would have well, thought? That's
0: not this. <laughs> this, this. Like you said, this doesn't win you the game until it wins you the game. It's like it doesn't actually do anything.
1: This isn't. What was that one? patient rebuilding i think it was the three blue blue and it would mill your opponent's stuff and then whenever like a land went in their graveyard you drew a card i mean that that was a good mill win condition because it was drawing you extra cards every turn it was five mana, and you kind of slammed it after you'd already established some board presence now this next one hatching plans i have had the opportunity to hatch some plans have you yes i have uh This one is good. This one is really, really, really good. This is maybe the best thing to bargain. No, this has got to be the best thing to bargain. I mean, some of these other cards, like Hopeful Vigil, what do they do when they bargain? They scry two. Wouldn't you rather ancestral yourself and just draw three cards? Uh, Although some on Twitter apparently think that the best case to use ancestral is to target your opponent. Uh, I'm not even going to wade into that discourse because, uh, you know, we've had enough discoursing on twitter for a while but hatching plans yeah again this one doesn't do anything when you play it it's literally just one of the blue that's it it just sits there but then when it's put in a graveyard you draw three cards obviously this works really well with the bargain vector blue doesn't have a ton of bargain cards that are super good even like diminisher which i've gone way down on uh i I think this does pair really well with cards uh that are cheap interaction. So candy grapple and torch the tower in particular, if you have either of those, you can pick up a hatching plans and just run it because, uh, what pairs well with card draw cheap removal, right?
0: Yeah. And then this is also just a card. Like most decks that are playing blue actually don't mind taking turn two off to do basically nothing. And so you just kind of throw this out early in the game, even if you play it late and you have some bargain stuff, like you're likely to have some of those in your hand by later into the game, you just basically like let this sit on the battlefield until you have something to do with it. It it doesn't really take up resources as it sits there. It's not it's just two mana. This isn't like a six mana force fruition that just doesn't do anything with you just spent turn six to do nothing. Like, yeah, maybe you take turn two off or you play this and then like play something else on like turn four or five. And maybe you like play this and bargain out a stopgap to tempo out your opponent yeah. On the same term. Like it's there's just plenty you can you're not you're not losing much to put this in your deck, and it gains you so much when you can use it. So uh this is one of the better ones as well. Notice most of the ones we're saying are like pretty good or uncommon in this bonus sheet.
1: Yeah, that that's a good point. I was actually thinking of that exact scenario with Stopgap. I had a game where my opponent played a hatching plans onto, just like you said. I had been building up my board, they used stopgap sacking hatching plans to bounce it on my tokens and then you know, you draw a stopgap, draw four cards. I was like, okay. <laughs> I'm not even yeah. mad. Like, that's awesome.
0: So I'm gonna shortcut our next four here. We've got intruder <laughs> alarm, kindred discovery, ley line <laughs> of anticipation, and omniscience. Put none of these in your decks. Move on with your life. I'm
1: just double checking. Intruder alarm. Yeah, we already talked about that one today. Kindred discovery. What you don't wanna you don't wanna put this in like a blue black fairies deck? <laughs>
0: For five mana? No, I'd just play into the fey court, draw three cards on the spot, and move on with my life.
1: <laughs> Good point, and we're certainly not putting a ley line or omniscience into our deck. Omniscience, look, it's just it's just too much. Oh, uh, Ristic study. Let's chat about this one. I, I haven't seen it in play yet. I, I don't have a lot of data on this, but I gotta say, I haven't taken it, and I've had the opportunity to. I've seen it go pretty late. I think the general consensus is, is that it sucks, but... I just feel like there's a world where this effect, three mana, your opponent's spells cost one more to cast. The thing is, this card is worse than that because it does have the drawback of your opponent can choose to cast the spell anyway and just let you draw. Uh, I guess particularly like a red white deck that doesn't care how many cards you have in hand when when you die to them. Uh, they wouldn't be that bothered by a turn three ristic Study. They'd say, all right, draw as many cards as you want. You're going to be dead in two turns anyway. And the cards you draw probably won't be able to get you out of it. So I think this one is unplayable, but it's ristic Study. Can I dream a little bit? <laughs> like,
0: Well, I mean, most of us are familiar with ristic Study in a commander uh, context where you're drawing three, cur- three extra cards a turn on it, and that is obviously very good. To put us into perspective... Ristic Study on 17 lands currently doesn't have enough of them seen to have a game in hand win rate, but it has a game oh, wow. played win rate of 47.5%. It is currently the <laughs> sixth worst card in the set.
1: Wow. So, okay. So abysmal. Yeah. Don't touch it. Spreading Seas is a funny one. Our last blue one here. This one is the one of the blue aura. You enchant a land and that land becomes an island and you draw a card. Kind of a funny bargain enabler. It's. Don't like it quite as much as hatching plans, but if you're on the play, your opponent plays like a mountain and then you spreading seize it. Sometimes you just win that game for free. Like you just auto win. Your opponent just scoops on the spot. They can't do a thing. They kept a hand with like three red cards and like a planes and they're like, oh, <laughs> Um Plus it draws your card, like the the investment's pretty low, and you can always bargain in the way in the late game. You might even forget it's there. You can fix your own mana with this if you're playing like blue black and you need your second blue source, just to enchant one of your swamps. It's super versatile. Lowest it can do is just cycle for two, right?
0: Yeah, that said, it's it is taking a card slot in your deck. So you do kind of need a little bit extra to do with it, like bargain or um yeah, maybe you're really low on fixing and you need to you know like ben was saying kind of get yourself an extra island when you're kind of mana screwed i did get this play i've seen this played against me i've never played with it um i haven't found myself wanting to put it in any of my decks but it, it did get I, it was played against me in in pretty successful fashion still won the game that it was played against me but it did lock down one of my two mountains. And it did stop me from casting a bunch of the red cards in my hand. So that there exact you scenario you described, uh, I've been on the receiving end of that. I still won the game, though. So <laughs> it is it is low so, effort, but all it takes is someone to top deck a land, and then that's you know, true. They're, they're fine again. So I don't know if a two-mana cycler is good enough in your deck to actually warrant taking up a card slot, but... I think it's usually fine.
1: I did actually have an opponent... Enchant my swamp with it, and it actually fixed my mana for me. I was playing blue <laughs> black. <laughs> there you go. Next up is Bitter Blossom. This is one of the best cards for limited of all time. I mean, yes. these fairies can block, and that actually that that is a big deal. Uh, and it also has the added upside of if you ever get too life to- low life total, if you're down to like five or four, and you're starting to worry about dying, your own Bitter Blossom, you can bargain it away. Like this thing, Elf on Turn Two. I mean, do you have the, the seventeen lands data up for this one? It's probably really good, right?
0: Yeah, it's in the top twenty. Um, sixty one point two percent games in hand, game in hand win rate. Yeah, could you check the opening hand win rate for it? Actually, yeah, opening hand is sixty seven point nine percent. So,
1: what, what, games when you start with it in hand win seven percent more than when you don't, and even yep. just like drawing it at all leads to a sixty percent. That 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 is about what you'd expect for a bitter blossom. This card's awesome. Uh, we got Dark Tutelage here. That is the three mana uh, Bob effect. At the beginning of your upkeep, you flip the top card of your library and you lose life equal to its mana value. I like this one for similar reasons to Bitter Blossom, uh, except it gives you a card instead of a 1-1 one, one fairy. I think sometimes you'd rather have the 1-1 one, one fairy and only lose the one life. It's kind of like you're flipping a card with Bitter Blossom every turn that just says, like, free cast this, you make a fairy. Uh, but Dark Tutelage can do some cool stuff. Uh, especially if you're playing like a, a cheaper, like black white deck or a green black deck with a bunch of bargain and, and food stuff. And sure, you might, you know, dome yourself for six with a Hamlet glutton sometimes, uh, or seven, I guess. But uh, you could just sack some food. It ETBs to gain three life. You can bargain it away if you get too low. I, I do like this one. I haven't had a really good Dark Tutelage deck, but I played it in, I think, one or two lists and it, it was just fine.
0: Yeah, I think. Dark Tutelage is a confusing one because there are certain vectors that do benefit from having a Dark Tutelage in the deck. Mostly, I think they're the green-black food decks that can kind of recoup the life you're losing or have ways to scry lands to the top so you draw the land off the Tutelage, don't take any damage, and then you draw a real card for your turn. Um, I will say Tutelage has a 48.6% game-in-hand win rate. It's not actually putting up good numbers. So I think that says something about the types of decks people are putting it into. Um, it's not just like, "Ooh, I'm running black. Let me put a dark tutelage in my deck. You're likely not going to get ahead on that exchange. And there are better ways to draw cards in the format. So yeah, I think that's probably just people.
1: Uh, th- those people are playing the card incorrectly by flipping non-lands off of it. You're supposed to flip the lands off the top. That's the, that's the key.
0: <laughs> well and again like in a, in a serious manner like if you can scry repeatedly yeah, I did yeah. play against somebody who was scrying they had one of the I think it was a creature that like when an enchantment enters the battlefield you scry or something to yeah, that effect yeah. um and they were scrying almost every turn so they could just put lands on top do what exactly what i described and and it worked Sounds really sweet. well for them but 9 times out of 10 I'm playing like a remotely aggressive blue black deck or a red white deck or a black red deck. And I'm just like happy to see this hit my opponent's battlefield because I'm like, cool, you're just helping me. (laughs) Yeah. You got to be
1: smart when you play Dark tutelage. You can't just jam this in any vector and expect it to work.
0: Wow. Ben, I think you did this on purpose, but, uh, you, the next four, we can just kind of lump
1: together. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to challenge that. Okay. Uh, Although let's talk about Leyline and Oppression. I think we can just junk those real quick. Leyline of the Void and Oppression. Oppression is just not worth playing a card for. Necropotence and Grave Pact. These two suffer from similar issues, which is that they both cost triple black. Uh, That being said, they're both extremely powerful once they hit the board. I would like to cast both of these before the format ends. I'll say that. I think they are playable. I think you can do stuff necro you skip your draw step and you can uh pay life to exile the top card of your library and then that card goes to your hand at the beginning of the next end step so you just have to pay life to draw cards and you no longer have a draw step uh it's not the best thing in the world if you want to draw like six cards right off the bat then this can refill your hand. So it can do cool stuff that way, but triple black. Same with grave pact. If uh, if you can make it so that whenever they block one of your rats and your rat dies, they have to sack a creature. It, it, it kind of gives all of your stuff way better death touch. Uh, where whenever any of your things die, one of their things has to die too. That can bring boards to a parity really effectively, and it's really hard to lose creature based matchups with a grave pact in play. You can usually leverage it. To I mean, just think about it. As long as you have more creatures than your opponent, then you can't really ever die to creatures. You could hold them back, chump with them. Then they have to you can't though too.
0: because the decks that play this are building out their board with rats, which can't block. So the yeah, rats, okay, okay. And they're one one So your opponent's just like, sure, I take four, I guess. And eventually, the rats going to kill them anyway, or they're going to block the rats or whatever. And I guess at yeah, that they point, they can't take four forever. The pack, no, and but like i don't know it just feels like yeah at that point they're dead anyway like you're gonna wipe their board and then you'll play more rats and kill them or they take the damage from the rats and they die i don't know like it just feels like it's a little loose yeah
1: you're saying it's like win more hard to cast
0: it's win more in a very specific deck and it's only really one or two decks that can even cast the card
1: well, maybe without a prophetic prism or, uh, or some other fixing or, or E wilds.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. I'm going to play this one. Great bag. I'm on. going to play this one like once this format. Same with Necro. Um, if I ever see them, they're both mythics. I could go the whole format yeah. and never even see them once. I never saw uh, Worm Coil Engine during, during Brothers War. So I, I might just never see these. And these aren't the types of cards people pass. So who knows? Maybe I'll just them one sometime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. Let's finish up Black here. Oversold Cemetery. Uh, this one's fine if you're dumping creatures in your graveyard, but there's not a lot of cruds that can do that, so I'm kind of off it. Yep. Polluted Bonds is a junker. It's involving lands and same with Sanguine Bond, just like these five mana enchantments that don't do anything. Let's breeze past those for Stab Wound, a.k.a. True Name Nemesis. Now, Stab Wound, three mana, Enchanted Creature gets minus two, minus two, and then at the beginning of that creature's controller's upkeep uh, that player loses two life. So the joke with this one is you can use it to kill their 2-2 or whatever, or their 3-2, yeah. But if you can land this on a 2-4 or a 1-3 or something that is going to stick around and you can functionally negate its influence on the board by using wound on it, uh, maybe don't attack into it because you want it to stick around, uh, they have a very short clock. I- I've seen opponents use premium removal spells to kill their own stab wounded creature because they knew that otherwise they're going to just going to die to it. And that was their only out. So that that's an even better two for one than you'd have originally by just draining a bunch of life per turn. Stab wound is awesome. I win tons of games after ca- casting a stab wound. You just got to be a little smart about how you play it, when mm-hmm. you play it, what you play it on. Uh, but it does behave a lot like a true name nemesis where they're taking two unblockable damage every turn. Um, guess it's a power down true name, but, you know, this card's awesome. Super high pick.
0: Well, yeah, it's flexible. It's it's got like different it, it fits in a number of different vectors and it does serve like multiple functions in that way. Ironically. Well, I suppose I'll, I'll phrase it this way. Would you believe me if I told you that stab wound has a lower game in hand win rate oh, than no. both land tax and evolving wilds? Oh, no. Yeah, Lower it's got a fifty-five point two percent win rate. Land tax is at a 55.4 game in hand win rate. Whoa, that, that's actually the more surprising thing that land
1: tax. I, I thought you were going to say something horrific like these are in the 40s. Land tax being plus 55 is. All right. All right. Maybe I'll have to try a land tax. Oh, duh! You use land tax to get three swamps to play necro, <laughs> and then you bargain away land tax. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh yeah! You could just bargain them away. We cracked the code. Um, well, I guess may anyway, but... we should mention: all of these enchantments, especially the ones that etb to do something, you can just bargain them away. Like that's one of the jokes. Um, stab wounds is just—it's great.
0: All right. Next up, we've got Vampiric Rights. This one is. In this format, it's kind of like Goblin Bombardment Light. Um, paying two mana and sacking a creature to do the thing is a lot more expensive than just being able to sack a creature. Sure, mm-hmm. this draws your card, which is way better than just pinging your opponent for one in most cases. But I haven't actually seen a deck that wants Vampiric Rights or does the thing with Vampiric Rights well. Because the decks that want Vampiric Rights traditionally are decks that make a bunch of tokens. The black decks that make a bunch of tokens in this format are making rats. Those are very aggressive decks. You kind of don't care about this effect in those decks.
1: Yeah, the ideal thing to do with this is to be an aristocrat's deck, and then this is your sack outlet those decks want like a repeatable sack outlet you have like a drain effect where whenever your creatures dies your opponent loses one and you gain one and then you're drawing more cards and stuff the real reason to play this is to jump block right you put your one one in front of their five five then before damage you sack draw a card gain a life that's hard for some like red green decks to grind through this could be one of those decks worst nightmares but in this case i, I don't think this has a home in the format maybe like a black white tokens deck but like you're never sacking a knight token you can sack rats, but
0: I don't know. I don't can't like block with in them. Format. So you lose that part of the, the equation. Yeah. I don't like it. Me neither. Next up is waste. Not, this is a fun card. One that people have built some crazy decks around two mana. Whenever an opponent discards a creature, you make a 2-2. If they discard a land, you add 2-black, and if they discard a non-creature non-land, you draw a card. So very modal. There's just not a whole lot of discard in this format. There's not a lot of ways to force your opponent to discard. There's also then the weird late game, sort of, you top-deck this and they don't have any cards in hand anyway. It's just not... It, there's just... Yeah, this is another one There's just not a home for in this format. Waste not
1: a slot in your deck for this card. How about that?
0: <laughs> yeah. Moving on to red, we've got Aggravated Assault here. This is two and a red for an enchantment, obviously. It takes a rare in this slot. And then you have you have to pay five. It's an activated ability that untaps all your creatures. You basically get an extra uh, combat. I mean, that can be effective. I just, again, I think this is a card that the aggressive decks would just rather not have. Like, you'd rather just have a creature than potentially wait to do this over eight mana. I don't know it feels like very win more in those decks
1: yeah i will say i had an opponent cast this and i did lose to it once uh after they had activated they were beating me down with like it was like a like a mono red almost rare pile it seemed like they were the only player at the table that were playing red they had like the three three haste dragon celebrant guy and i think they had the uh, the goblin three three the trash master guy like they were gonna destroy me no matter what and then they played this and i was like you know what I think they're going to win regardless. That aligns with what we were saying. I can't see a red deck that wants to take off turn three to not affect the board and then also take
0: off turn five to functionally not affect the board. Well, if you're doing the turn five thing, like you better win the game. Yeah, yeah. So this is really, again, I would rather have a gnawing crescendo most of the time than this. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Definitely an Imitate's recruiter. Oh, yeah. Next up, we've got Blood Moon. Don't don't put it in your decks. It's just not... We're playing limited here. Like, what are you doing? Good art, though. Dragon Mantle.
1: This one's whatever. You can put it in your red decks. It's a cantrip for cheap, just one red. This is good in the Celebration decks because it adds an extra permanent to the field, draws you a card, gives something fire-breathing. That can be uh, valuable, unlike a Trampler, so red-green can make some use of this. This one's just fine, though. Like,
0: cuttable for sure. Unless you have a Kellen. If you have Kellen, this card is stupid good. Oh, that thing has double strike, right? It sure does. Oh, and okay. it like reanimates yeah. stuff, I think. Uh, yeah, I, I had it played against me with a Kellen in pre-release, and it was just ridiculously good. That sounds kind of cool.
1: Fire Emancipation, three red, red, red. It triples the damage your stuff deals. Burn spells, creatures. I did try to make this one work. I played four copies of the uh, the the catapult and I was like, oh, I can (laughs) I can like tap to deal three damage instead of one. Uh, My opponent killed all my catapults and countered emancipation. So uh,
0: I'm going to go with a uh, no on this. one. (laughs) The decks that I actually I've seen this played against me and it was actually quite um, nerve wracking. And I don't remember if I actually think I ended up winning that game. But they, they played this in a red-green deck that had a ton of ramp. Utopia Sprawl, Root Rider oh, okay. And then you just play it on turn four, and everything after that is like, I, I, everything's lethal. That's kind of cool. So, um, it also had like a Garrick's Uprising. So that it was like one of those like four power greater decks, but then it ran this. So it was, yeah, literally everything was lethal. Um, I still think I won that game, though. So
1: <laughs> Yeah, again, let's just use the uh, Torch the Tower test. I would not take this over a Torch the Tower. No. The next two Goblin Bombardment and Impact Tremors. These two share the exact same vector and that's rats uh, slash the hyper aggressive red decks, which can be red, white or red, black. I've played both of these in red, white and both have done well. Goblin Bombardment is much better. Uh, This one, you don't need the creature to enter after the Impact Tremor. Uh, which is a little awkward bit of Impact Tremors. But sometimes your red-white deck, you just don't have anything to do on turn two, and you're like, okay, Impact Tremors. Then you make like five creatures over the next couple turns, and two mana deal fives to your opponent. Yeah, that's worth playing. It, It really puts this clock on, this inevitability that some decks just can't outpace it. Goblin Bombardment fulfills a very similar role, but it is just so much better because that one damage can go to any target. So go, uh, b- Goblin Bombardment is better in Vacuum, but I do play both of these in my red, white, and red aggressive decks. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Moving on, we've got Leyline of Lightning, Mana Flare. Neither of these are playable. Just don't touch them. Let, you know, Mana Flare is a fun one if you're actually drafting in paper and you want it for constructed, not a limited card. <laughs> um we've got raid bombardment which is the third of this kind of trio the goblin bombardment impact tremors raid bombardment all three of these go into the same decks and uh if you're going heavy rats raid bombardment will do phenomenal things for you whether it get, the rats get blocked or not they're still taking one um this does have the flexibility of also hitting planeswalkers uh not that that's Ash a thing Yacht. now <laughs> that we have one 1 per set essentially uh going forward so um probably won't matter about that but hey yeah, making sure you get in for one no matter what is still going to be very effective and will help you win games.
1: Funny enough, Impact Tremors plus Raid Bombardment kind of equals a Goblin Bombardment in my mind I, on power level and uh, card quality. I, I think Goblin Bombardment is still better than this one too.
0: Well, the fun part is that like, you put Impact Tremors down, then you play Raid Bombardment, and then you just make a bunch of rats, and like you're hitting one when they ETB, and then, and if you have the Goblin Bombardment out too, like if you have all three, then you attack with the Rats. Even if they get blocked, three, you sack them. You'd, hey, I mean, two of them are uncommon, so it can happen.
1: It can, but then you are spending a lot of time playing these non-board effecting yeah, things. Right. If you're playing against like another red deck, you will lose if you spend the first three turns playing these three trios. I, I like playing exactly one of these because look, you got to have slots for removal and stuff like that too.
0: Yeah, and then uh, next up, we've got repercussion. This is one red red for uh, a mythic in this set. And uh, it says whenever a creature is dealt damage, it deals that much damage to that creature's controller. This is also your creatures. So this is like a synergistic thing. It will hurt hurt you as well. It, don't put this in your decks. <laughs> it's not. Worth yeah,
1: it. it's one of those. You spend a card for a symmetrical effect type deals, similar to like sanguine bond or all those things. It, you just can't spend a card to do nothing. Well, or at one least even to create you. a symmetrical effect. Yeah. Or your opponent too. Uh, but people just won't block, right? Alright, here's the last one of that kind of rat army. This is the only one that I haven't actually seen in play of that group. Shared Animosity. Uh, the two in red, whenever a creature you control attacks, gets 1-1 one, one until in a turn for each other attacking creature that shares a creature type with it. I think this is actually second behind Goblin Bombardment. Uh, I think it's Uh, power ranking wise goblin bombardment then shared animosity then impact tremors then raid bombardment although i'm not too sure about the last two those could be flipped this one is good because well first of all this one is going only in rats right you can't maybe you get like a red white mice deck or a red white humans deck but even then you gotta it has to be a really weird draft for you to wind up with that uh if you're playing black red rats though um yeah if you can make like I don't know if you have like ten cards that make rats. Then this is going to be pretty sick.
0: Yeah, it is a three mana do nothing. Uh, the turn you play it right, so it is another one of those that like hits the board and you're kind of taking time off to not progress your game plan a little bit. Win more in that way, but um, it turns your rats into like real like serious threats. I mean, if you've got a bunch of like four four fours attacking that or four ones or whatever, like that's a big deal relative to. Otherwise, having won once, imagine you
1: play this with the uh, Song of Totentans. You like play that this on turn nuts. six, and then turn seven, you attack for <laughs> a trillion damage. That'd that be is nuts. cool. Yeah, if only gave Trample, uh, sneak attack. Last red one here. Nope, you can't play sneak attack. <laughs> Sorry, no. Leave this a vintage cube, unless you're putting a literal Eldrazi Titan into play. It's usually not worth playing a sneak attack. Although recently, Magic has printed some other good targets. Archon of Cruelty, Atroxa, uh, World Spine Worm is a reasonable one to put in. These things you can all put in to play in Vintage Cube off of these. And then an Eldrazi with Annihilator.
0: But sneak attack, you can't just put in like a 5-5 five, five with this. You'll just, you'll just lose. No, whatever you're playing with this has to win you the game on the spot. And there just aren't, any, aren't really any cards that do that in this format.
1: Next up is Defense of the Heart. This one is a little strange. Four mana, at the beginning of your upkeep, if an opponent controls three or more creatures, sacrifice Defense of the Heart, search your library for up to two creatures, put them onto the battlefield, then shuffle. I actually had this in my my pre-release pool. I never drew it, so I cannot say how it is,
0: and I've never seen this one cast. So uh, do you have any data points on this? No, it is a mythic, so it's not gonna come up too often. I think there's too much conditional in this. I'd rather play like a four mana beefy creature in my green decks. And like, that's, I think that sums up most of these is like, I'd much rather just put a creature in my deck instead of playing this enchantment mm-hmm. that has a bunch of like clauses that I need to fulfill in order to get the thing. Like if your opponent just never has three or more creatures, if they already have three or more, they can potentially like do some weird stuff to get rid of one. If they need Bargain to a
1: token away or something.
0: Yeah. I mean, there are just plenty of ways to kind of, mess with this and then like it does nothing the turn you play it so it's take turn four off you gotta it's gotta survive rough. to your upkeep and they have to have three or more creatures on the board and then you've gotta have I mean I guess yeah grabbing two creatures no matter what is gonna be good but yeah it's just not I don't think it's worth it
1: yeah I,
0: I, I want to say this card could have a home
1: in like a defensive green blue deck or something with a lot of interaction bounce stuff like that counter spells and maybe your opponent builds out a little bit and then you go tutor out your like horned lock whale or something. And and like sure. a uh, Hamlet glutton and you immediately stabilize the board. Then that is definitely worth four mana. You just have to be able to set it up properly. I, yeah, I just, I just haven't the gotten the chance.
0: Removal to. in this format is too efficient. I think like you mm-hmm. go through all that work and then your opponent just stop gaps your glutton or your horn lock yeah. whale or whatever, which I guess those aren't great stop gap targets, but Maybe they just cast a cooped up. You just went through yeah. all this work and now they just locked your creature down. It's or a song
1: of totes and tans or a rat
0: yeah. run or whatever.
1: Yeah. Um, it's slow. This can go it's
0: not. Yeah. It's I, I'm not a fan.
1: Doubling season. Uh, let's just say our piece for this and the two adjacent cards to it. Um, none of these are playable. You don't really make. I, I don't think even with like gruff triplets or like a red green rats deck or like a, White, green, like a five mana thing. By this point, you've already made as many tokens of rats and knights as you want. You're not doubling counters. Counters aren't really a thing in the set. Rolls kind of take the place of that. So, nope, not interested in any of these.
0: Nope. So next up, we've got Garrick's Uprising. This one, I think, is playable. It's the three mana that power four greater matters. You just draw a bunch Mm. of cards. The creatures you can draw trample part is usually not relevant because most of the green creatures in this format seem to have trample already. Uh, or a monster roll roll. yeah so uh the travel part's not super relevant but it is a great way to recur cards um in those decks and a lot of those decks it's it's pretty easy to put four power creatures in your deck so um i do like Eric's uprising it's not usually a three mana do nothing like at least it's going to cantrip most of the time Mm. and then like it'll sit around and collect value as you continue to play your game plan so this one's fine uh... And I just realized that's in the draft shop cube. We get a new art, a new promo. Yeah, sweet. Sure is. Uh, next up, we've got Ground Seal. This is one in a green for a similar-ish effect. Uh, E2B draw a card. And then uh, cards and graveyards can't be targets of spells or abilities. This one feels very sideboardy to me. I haven't bothered putting it any of my decks. Don't think it's worth really putting, taking a card slot in your deck unless you know you're against a yeah. deck that cares a lot about targeting cards and graveyards. There just aren't <laughs> very many of those in this format.
1: What if your opponent had uh, the uncommon uh, back for seconds, right? Sure. Yeah, like, what if they had, like, what if you saw two of them? Then I might side this in. If I had seen both that and I had a bunch of bargain stuff, because E to B, it draws a card, and then you can bargain the way later when, well, I guess then that would unlock their back for seconds, whatever. I don't know. This one doesn't seem great to me.
0: Yeah, and then the next two are hardened scales and ley line of abundance. We kind of lumped all the ley lines together. Not really playable. Hardened Scales falls into the doubling season kind of thing. They're just... 1-1 counters aren't a thing in this format. Like, you just almost never see them. There are a few cards that do make them. There are some other... The green cards, like, I think Elusive Otter might be one. And then there's the one that, like, distributes three plus one plus one counters on up to things. Sure. Picnic Ruiner, yeah. That one, if if you had, like, three
1: Picnic Ruiners, and then... Maybe Harden it's worth Yeah, card slot.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. there may be a vector in which Hardened Scales is actually worth the card slot in your deck. I haven't seen the support for it, and I don't think it's worth... This is a, a, We talked about it on some of the earlier ones. This is one that you don't take highly and then try to build the deck around. It's like, oh, hey, look, I have two or three Picnic Ruiners. I've got an Elusive Otter or whatever. I can see a way to make a bunch of counters. Uh, sure, Hardened Scales fits my deck. I'll take that. All right, our
1: last couple rows here. Nature's will. 4
0: mana. Whenever one or more creatures you
1: control deals combat damage to a player, tap all lands that player controls and untap all lands you control. Just, no. Yeah. <laughs> Silly effect. No, no thanks. Uh, next are parallel lives and primal vigor. These are the other tokens slash uh, counters, doublers. Beautiful art. No, thanks. Prismatic omen. One of the green. Lands you control are every basic land type in addition to the other types. The ultimate fixer. Uh, You still don't want to spend a card to do this. This is not a land that taps for mana or a land that helps turn this on. Like Dryad of the Elysian Grove. That's an enchantment creature that does this effect functionally, right? That's a three mana two four. That can actually do stuff, right? Uh, Just putting an enchantment into play that does this is not worth the card.
0: Next, Season of Growth. Season of Growth is one that I've come up on a little bit, having seen it worked Well, this is one that fits into very specific vectors. Um, You know, the ETB Scry one is fine, not something that is worth taking a card. And then if you have a deck that's very heroic in nature, you're casting a bunch of stuff that targets your own creatures, then it becomes a card draw engine, and it's worth it. I think if you can draw two cards off of this reliably, it's probably worth putting in the deck. Um, And there are decks that can do this. I've seen some good white-green decks that, uh, do you know target? I don't think this triggers properly off of things that. Well, I guess they have to target. They all all the things that, that make uh, rolls target the creature to put the roll on. So I guess that works. But like yeah, typical, yeah. yeah. Um, so that that's kind of where you want to be. The green white decks that can put a bunch of arrows on things will let you kind of take advantage of season of growth. Um, otherwise, yeah, I, I don't, I don't really like it. Um, you've got to be in a specific vector for this one.
1: Yeah, this card has some play to it for sure. Something cool about the templating is that it's not non-token. You see that come up on right. sometimes. So if you have a bunch of token makers, I mean, when you're scrying two or actually scrying one twice is better than scrying two, right? Uh, so when you're scrying multiple times a turn, then, you know, that, that can be something.
0: Oh, you know, I think actually um, this this was the deck I saw with the dark tutelage. So they were they had season of growth and oh, dark tutelage. Oh, and yeah, every creature cool was like yeah. So that that that's actually good. I also misread yeah. that and I thought for a moment that it was ETB scry one. This is when creatures enter the battlefield scry one. So um mm. it actually is a two-mana do nothing. But uh oh, yeah. if you can if you can combo it with a creature in the same turn, then you get the scry right away, and yeah, you can kind of do some things. But again, it has a home. I think it has a home in a very specific vector. Um that happened to be a black green deck which there are plenty of black cards that generate auras uh, make rolls and such so it can it can have a home there for sure uh, but be very careful about again what your deck is doing and does this card synergize with the rest of your deck effectively next up we've got unnatural growth this is the one quad green so it's five mana card uh at the beginning of each combat double the power and toughness of each creature you control until end of turn this can be no. a game ender, but it lo- it's actually a trap. Like, it, it looks like it's like, oh, crap. Like, I get to pay five mana and then double all my things every turn. Yeah, it, it feels like a trap to me. I mean, I have sure. played against me once and I'm pretty sure I lost that game. But like, I don't know, probably just to win more.
1: Yeah, let's be honest. This doesn't cost five. You're playing this like on turn 10 when right. you have your quadruple green or maybe you fix with a prismatic omen or some junk like that the casting cost in green isn't as egregious as like the necropotence casting cost right because green tends to have more filtering and even mana dorks that can help tap for additional green pips Uh, even our next card utopia sprawl can help with this so again i think you could try this in a certain deck but you need other things to help like if this just doubles your power it doesn't always change the combat math that much Maybe if you combine this with Tramplers or with Flyers or something else, but then again, like you said, that's pretty win more. I'm not interested in this card ever. Like again, the Torch the Tower test. I would take Torch the Tower over this every single time.
0: Yeah, I think there is a deck that I would take this over Torch the Tower, but if we're talking pack one, pick one. I'm taking Torch the Tower. But that's almost all of these are build arounds if they're playable at all. So I do think like, I mean... It doubles power and toughness, so it does kind of change combat math. I mean, it forces your opponents to block. You don't want to get smacked with, like, a 4-4 that's now attacking as an 8-8. Um, yeah, that's true. And it's it each does combat. An it's answer. not just yours. So you can use it on defense as well. Oh, I, I
1: miss that each combat. They're not usually templated that way. Okay, I, I do remember when this was originally printed and limited, it was a, a huge groan when your opponent would land it. Alright, maybe maybe I'll try this one once and and see if I can get it to work. But that casting cost is rough.
0: Oh yeah. Well and and you have to remember too, like this is the deck that also has access to our next card. It also has access to Root Rider fawns and whatever uh prismatic prisms and such that you can mm-hmm. filter in the four green pretty easily. This almost reads in the deck that wants to play it anyway, it almost reads like a f- f- like four and a green. Or maybe two and ah! Three and two green or something. (laughs) I think I think it does though. Like a lot of those decks, it's really easy. You've got all the different ramp spells that let you go, like grab forests and stuff. Like I don't actually think it's that hard to cast in the decks that want to play it anyway. Sometimes, again, this one fits in a very narrow sort of vector. Like you don't just put this in every green deck. Sometimes
1: your red white opponent is going to be beating down. And they will have locked down your 3-3 and your 4-4 with auras or exiled one or bounced one. And you're going to be getting run over by rats and you're going to go, man, I would kill for a Hamlet Glutton off the top right now. And you're going to rip unnatural growth and you're going to look at your board of creatures that can't do anything against their massive rat army. Th- this helps you go super tall in a format that seems to be a little more about going wide, at least for the decks that yeah. want to attack. So I- I'm I'm very skeptical, uh, skeptical
0: of this one. Uh, I think I may try to play it once, though, if the opportunity arises. It is also an atrocious top deck. Uh, if you have yeah. nothing on board, it just doesn't do anything for you. This is, I would, I would say, lean towards thinking this is a trap. But I think there is a deck that will be okay playing this and actually use it effectively. Um, but if you never take it in the format, I think you're probably still just doing fine. Our next one, however, Utopia's Brawl. This is like I I take this over a lot of cards. This is a very effective card. Same. One mana, ramp, fix all the things. Uh, it's a major groan test. If I see my opponent play this on turn one, I am oh, just yeah. like, oh, I am losing this game. Uh, <laughs> yeah, put it in every green deck.
1: Have you uh, ever seen or been subject to what turn one Utopia Sprawl, turn three Return from the Wilds, the three mana ramp spell?
0: Oh yeah, I did that in pre-release. Oh my God,
1: you did. <laughs> That's yeah. so disgusting. So then your opponent plays their second land and you untap with like five mana perfectly fixed. Yeah, just play a turn like,
0: three or turn four uh, gruff triplets. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like turn four gruff triplets. Easy, right? This card is awesome. Um, the only downside is that it's not a great top deck. And even then, in some decks, like uh, that Tangle Span thing, uh, you can proc Aura stuff. Yeah. Or even just bargain it away if you don't need the mana anymore. Uh, but even in the late game, sometimes you're still trying to do, like, this card's great for splashing the Goose Mother, big, like, splashy top-end things like that, or even, like, splashing the Song of Totentons, which I think is actually a pretty valid thing to do. Just pay, like, eight mana, make seven rats and swing. Um, Utopia Sprawl does all that while still letting you get on the board super quickly. Uh, you do need to make sure you have a good number of forests, though. I wouldn't go under eight forests if you're playing Utopia Sprawl. Well, uh, that's... It. Those are all of our enchanting tales and enchanting fails. I think more fails than tales. But maybe we'll have some tales to tell about some of those fails. If all else fails, we'll. I don't know. We'll 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 be the tail end of the joke, I guess. Oh God.
0: Uh, (laughs) Um. All right. I think we have an hour and a half limit for you these days. (laughs) You start spewing nonsense. Past that, that, I start getting weird. (laughs) Oh, man. Anyway, I mean, I appreciate the the puns. Um, That's it for us, though, this week. Thank you so much for listening. Do check us out in the Discord if you haven't been there already. Um, Again, the link to that is in the episode description as well as on our Twitter page. Go check out the Patreon. Get ready for the relaunch of that. We're very excited. Don't forget limited edition pins to people who sign up during the launch and pre-existing patrons um and then uh if you want to find us on social media you can find us on twitter or x or whatever <laughs> at drop Chat pod thanks folks and we'll catch you next week all right i have a uh i have a help request
1: in my sign off today i teach right i work at a high school I bring lunch most days. Some days I buy lunch from the te- teacher cafeteria. They got a guy in there who makes good stuff, as I mentioned today in my long-winded <laughs> pre-show recording about grapes and such. All. But um, I'm curious. I- I've started eating less, not fully gluten-free. Um, I do not have celiacs, but I-, I found that eating less straight up bread has vastly improved my my daily uh, <laughs> Life. So, uh, and I'm also lactose intolerant, which does really cut down my sandwich options when casual bread and cheese no longer leads to the best afternoons for me. So, what I'm curious about maybe if anyone else out there has, uh, you know, similar afflictions, or maybe if you just eat lunches that are separate from that, I'm curious people that like bring lunches to work, what do you people eat for lunch? Because the more I meet like adults in working life, the more I realize everyone has like I, I've met some teachers in my school who will eat just peanut butter and and crackers, and that is their lunch. And they survive and thrive off that. And then I meet other people that thrive? carefully meal prep. <laughs> well, yeah, thrive might be an exaggeration, but they're well-beloved teachers that do this. I, I meet other people that that they carefully craft their meal preps, like down to the calorie counting and, and every last detail accounted for. So I I know where you fall on the end of that spectrum. I am curious uh, for a, what other people do for their lunch breaks uh, and B do you have any recs for me? Because uh, ideally ones that are dairy and gluten-free I know chicken and rice I've gotten as, as one of my pieces of advice once. So uh, curious to hear what people's takes on this are maybe toss this in the random channel in discord.
0: Do you want my advice now, or do you want yeah, me to go in the it. Discord? Okay. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. Well, you'll have to do that too, you know. <laughs> but Well, uh, there's this awesome snack actually that's gluten free and dairy free. They're called grapes. Have you ever considered bringing grapes? <laughs>